Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Brother Joe, where did I say we were going to begin? Verse 16. Okay. We're going to read from verse 16 down through the end of the chapter here. The Bible says, But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey them which that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may give it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace that brought again uh, from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, uh, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, uh, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I beseech you, brethren, suffered the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in few words. Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom, if he come shortly, I will see you. Salute all them that have the rule over you, and all the saints, they of Italy, salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. And uh, we're looking at this topic, the behavior of a model Christian. No one in here has all of these things figured out. No one. All of us, until the day we die... We'll be working at improving and getting better at this, but let's look and see what God's Word says verse by verse about the behavior of a model Christian. I know I want to be that model Christian. Let's pray. Lord, help us tonight as we finish out this tremendous book. What a joy it's been to go verse by verse through uh, this book that you wrote to the Hebrew uh, Christians there in the early ages of the church, and Lord, many things that are still so very applicable to our daily lives. And tonight, help us to take those truths, and Lord, work individually in each person's heart, and Lord, drive home truths like only you can, Spirit of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, by way of review, uh, we are in Hebrews 13, and this uh, this is the second installment of this particular Bible study, and we began uh, by looking at uh, verse number 13. If you could go back to verse number 13, the Bible says, Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. And we looked at the behavior of a model Christian, and the first thing that we said was that a Christian is to suffer. We looked at the Christian's suffering. The Bible says we are to bear his reproach. There is a stigma attached to being a Christian. And the more radical you are in your faith, the more passionate you are in your faith, uh, the more ostracizing you are going to be, uh, the more uh, people are going to push you away. And Jesus suffered, and we're no better than Jesus. And if he suffered, then we know that we are to suffer. And then we looked at verse number 14, and we saw the Christian's seeking of heaven. Look at verse number 14 with me. The Bible says, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Why is it that people worship planet Earth? Why is it that people make a big deal 
out of this planet because they, many of them, they don't know, they don't have their eyes set on heaven. Colossians chapter 3 tells us that we're not to set our affection on things below, but on things, or rather, we're to set our affection on things above, not on things of this earth. And our affection is to be in heaven. We know that one day Jesus is coming. And John 14, the Bible tells us that Jesus has gone away to prepare us a mansion. And he's going to come back and give us that mansion. And we're going to get to rejoice in heaven forever. And so, once you set your eyes on things above, not with things on the earth, then all of a sudden, that which seemed important before, all of a sudden, seems much less important. When I gave this Bible study, I believe it was two weeks ago, it may have been three weeks ago, I used the illustration about uh, overhauling, remodeling a hotel room for a one-week stay and how silly that would be. And uh, we got back after the service, we went back into the uh, deacons meeting and Brother Okai shared that there are children who will, uh, parents will pay top dollar in order to give a dorm room entirely to their child. They pay for not only the room and board for their, their child, but for the other bunk beds in the room. And then they have all the furniture taken out and they remodel the entire dorm room so their child can have it that way for that school year. And how ridiculous that is. And you have to be ridiculously wealthy to even think about doing something like that. But even if you're filthy rich, what a waste of money. And many people here on earth are invested in material goods and items and uh, whatnot. And uh, my friend, we're not to be seeking a plush, comfortable life on earth. Our, our sights ought to be set on heaven. And we learn from Abraham how that he had his eyes set on a city in the heavens. Then we looked at number three, and that was really where we finished our Bible study. We looked at the Christian's sacrifice of praise. Look with me at verse number 15. The Bible says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We spent time going throughout the Old Testament, looking at all of the times that idea of a sacrifice of praise is used uh, throughout the Bible and how that began with the, the peace offering and how they would come voluntarily and they would offer up their offering and it would cost them something. They had to give up an animal or buy an animal uh, and uh, sacrifice that animal there on the altar in order to thoroughly and uh, sufficiently praise God. And we talked about how that our, our gratitude, our praise is something that we can offer. And I shared this quote with you. I said, Gratitude is an offering precious in the sight of God, and it is one that the poorest of us can make and not be poorer, but richer for having made it. What a great quote. We're richer when we make this sacrifice. And we talked about how it's human nature to complain. It's human nature to see the negative in people, the negative in things, the negative in a situation. And we have to make a sacrifice in order to praise God, especially when the going gets tough. And so that brings us to point number four. And I believe I gave you the blank, but we didn't really discuss it at all. All right. So the behavior of a model Christian. We've looked at uh, the suffering of a Christian. We've looked at uh, the seeking of a Christian. We've looked at the sacrifice of praise of a Christian. Well, let's, look all, let's go on and look at the fourth item laid out here for us in the end of Hebrews 13. And notice, the Christian's service to others. 
the Christian's service to others. Look with me at verse number 16 of Hebrews 13. The Bible says, but to do good. Notice that right there. To do good and to communicate. Forget not. Now, uh, in my study for the message, uh, I did not, I found that to be an odd grouping. To do good and to communicate, forget not. I'm going to see, I'm going to show you how I think these two things are tied together in just a moment. The rest of the verse says, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So to do good and communicate not. We know the Bible tells us that he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You're in Hebrews. Go over one book to the uh, right there into the book of James. Look at James chapter number 2 and look at verse number 14. We know that we are to do good. We're to act in a way that God would act in any given situation. Look at verse 14 of James 2. The Bible says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and hath, have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked, and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Now, don't take this passage out of context. Very simply, what James is telling these Christians at the Church of Jerusalem is, if you, just, if you see someone in great desperate need, they lack housing, they lack food, they're struggling, they're suffering, and you say to them, well, brother, faith will take care of you. Sister, faith will take care of you. Uh, have a good day. I'll let faith take care of it. No, you're not just... What, what good does it do to express, to, to, to just say to someone uh, a, a bunch of religious, pious words? No, our works need to back up and prove our faith. That is part of doing good. Look at chapter 4 and verse number 17. James chapter 4 and verse Number 17, our service to others. Therefore to him, I quoted this verse a moment ago, that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. To him it is sin. When you see someone in need and you have the wherewithal or the moving of the Spirit of God to step in and fill that need and help them with that need, then it is on you to step up and do it. My friend, many Christians are too self-absorbed to be willing to help anybody. And all of us ought to be a servant. All of us ought to be serving others. All of us ought to be excellent in our service to others. And by the way, here's how it works in the Christian life. The more position you have, the more maturity you have, the more rank you have, the more you ought to be serving. That's how it works. You want to be great in God's kingdom? Then be the greatest servant of all. Many of you know that in Jesus' day, the servants would wash the feet of those who came in off the dusty roads into a home. And uh, traditions of that sort continued on well into uh, the uh, 1800s. D.L. Moody was the most famous evangelist in the world in the late 1800s. And People came from around the world 
to attend his Bible conferences that he held in Northfield, Massachusetts. One year, a large group of pastors from Europe were among the attendees, and these uh, delegates were given rooms in the dormitory of the Bible college that, uh, that was there. And as was the custom in Europe, the men put their shoes outside the door of their rooms, expecting them to be cleaned and polished and return uh, the, the, previous, uh, the, the following morning. And this was a task, the custom in Europe was that this would be done by servants. That servants would take the shoes, set outside the door, they would clean the shoes, they would polish the shoes, and then return the shoes. Of course, there were no servants in this American dorm. But as Moody was walking through the halls and praying over his guests, he saw the shoes in the middle of the night and realized what had happened. He mentioned the problem to a few of the Bible college students that lived in that dormitory, but no one offered to help. No one offered to do anything about it. So without another word, the great evangelist, who was a world-renowned preacher, he gathered up the shoes and took them back to his own room where he began to clean and polish each pair. Moody told no one of what he had done, but a friend who interrupted him in the middle of shining the shoes and stepped up and helped him finish the task, later after Mr. Moody had died, shared the story of what had happened. Notice that despite the praise and despite the fame that Mr. Moody had received because of God's blessings on his life and ministry, Moody remained a humble man. Um, uh, He did not allow his fame and his success to go to his head. He realized it was being a servant that got him where, where he was and his servant he needed to remain. Jesus Christ, the Son of God and King of Heaven, had the right to honor, praise, and worship. Uh, Yet to be our Savior, he laid all of his privileges aside and became what? He became a lowly servant. We often hear people talking, uh, people talk of living as Jesus lived. And while he truly is the model for us to follow, many who speak of following him are unwilling to give up their rights and reflect his humility. We will never be like Jesus unless we are humble and lowly. Humble and lowly. We have a problem in the society at large. The problem, and I think it seeps into our own hearts here too. The problem is that we think that we deserve better than what we get. A lot of griping and complaining. My rights, my rights, my rights. My rights as a husband for the ladies. My rights as a wife for children. My rights, my rights. You know what I have a right to? I have a right to burn in hell for my sins. That's what I have a right to. For us to get back to the stage where we realize that we are nothing minus God's help. We get to that place and we realize that anything I have outside of hell is good. Who am I to gripe and complain about the way I'm treated? Who am I to gripe and complain about what I do and don't get out of society and culture at large? Who am I to gripe and complain about the way I'm treated? 
Christian, we need servants. We need people who are willing to serve others and take on the form of a servant the way Jesus did. Go back with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, look at verse number 16. Notice there again, it says, But to do good and to communicate, forget not. Now, we all know that we're to do good, and we all know that we're to communicate. Uh, but how do those two things tie together? Notice the phrase there, to communicate, forget not. Let's talk about communication here for a few minutes. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 37. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, we find the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is speaking to his earliest of disciples, earliest of followers there early on in his ministry. The Bible says there, Jesus is speaking, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. What's he saying? Communicate clearly. Don't talk people in circles. Don't um, talk about things that are possible, uh, but not for certain. Uh, don't ramble. Be concise when you communicate with someone. Learn how uh, to, to, to speak. Turn over to Romans chapter 14 and verse number 16. I'm going to tie uh, three verses here together and, and pull this back into service. Romans chapter 14 and verse number 16. I've been using this verse a lot lately, uh, but let's look at it directly in the Scriptures. The Bible says, Let not then your good, your good be evil spoken of. So here's communication and good in the same verse. When we do good... But people speak evil of what we've done. We leave room for people to criticize our acts of kindness, our service, our work for the Lord. Let not your good be evil spoken of. And so we must learn to communicate. All right, one more verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 33. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 33. I still hear pages turning. Give people time and a chance to get there. All right. The Bible says, Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupt good manners. Evil communication corrupt good manners. Here again we see this idea of communicating and doing good tied together. Now watch this. When my communication is poor... My service will be poor. And if my service is not poor, uh, and my communication is poor, then my service will be evil spoken of. I need to make sure that not only do I treat people right, but I talk to people right. I talk to people right. There is a breakdown oftentimes in communication. And we must learn to properly communicate. Alright, so we see here the Christian's service to the Lord. And let's not let our good be evil spoken of. Let's make sure we do right the right way. Let's make sure we communicate that right the right way. So we've looked at here the Christian's service to others. Again, what is the model B 
behavior of a Christian. We see here that Christians are to be busy serving others. Let's move on to the fifth thought here. Notice the Christian's submission to authority. The Christian's submission to authority. Look at verse number 17. The Bible says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Wow, what a weighty passage. What a weighty verse. We are to obey. We are to submit to all of those that hold rank over us, all of those that have God-given authority over our lives. Have you ever stopped to think who it is that has God-given authority in your life and what your spirit is toward them? Are you obedient or are you rebellious? Are you submissive or do you struggle with what you're told? Turn over to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 and verse number 1. And let's look at a few verses here. Now, I want to just uh, add some clarity uh, to that uh, verse in uh, Hebrews 13. We'll be looking back at verse 17 here in a few minutes. But I do believe that specifically, directly in context, this is talking about your spiritual leadership. This is your spiritual leadership. Now, I do believe that government officials hold rank uh, spiritually in their lives. We'll look at that here in Romans 13 in just a moment. But... Who holds more rank spiritually in your life? The Lord Jesus Christ does. The Holy Spirit does. And He gives us uh, church leadership uh, to lead us and guide us and pastors to instruct us and preach to us. And uh, He gives us deacons to serve us. And uh, He gives us government officials to help keep us safe and Protect us. Look at verse number 1 of Romans 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. That's heavy, strong Language, verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he, this, uh, this uh, higher power, he is the minister or servant of God for thee, uh, to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon them that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Go back to verse 1 there, and notice it say that there is no power but of God. Now, I want you to understand that... Uh, well, go back to Hebrews 13, verse 17, and I'll draw this point out of Romans 13. Um, uh, verse 17, again, there says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Look at the second half of the verse. As they that must give account. Who are they giving account to? Giving account to God. This is the judgment seat of Christ. Now, watch this. Biblically... God has given me authority, and with that authority comes power as a father, 
a husband and a pastor. I'm going to stand before God one day and I'm going to give him that authority back. That power that he has given me scripturally to be a ruler, I'm going to return to him. And by the way, so will the mayors and the governors and the presidents and the kings and prime ministers of this world. They will do the same. But specifically, I am going to give an account to God one day for how I led that lady right there, the children that call me father, and the people that call me pastor. Now, I can't make Angela submit at home, and I can't force my children to obey, and I can't get those who call me their pastor to submit and obey to the preaching of God's word. But it sure will make my time easier in heaven if the people who I oversee are compliant and subservient and submissive. Those of you in here tonight that have your own power, whether that's a wife, maybe you're an employer at work, Maybe you're a supervisor at work. You're going to give an account one day for those who look up to you. Now, I want you to picture your parents, your pastor, Pastor Pezlak, for those of you that were here behind, under him, Pastor Brown, for those of you that were here under him, standing before God and giving an account as far as you are concerned, will that account, will that time before God be sweet or will it be tough? I feel bad for many pastors because they are trying to lead a church that's as stubborn and ornery as um, the Israelites in the wilderness. I've, I've seen churches that way. And poor Moses, he's going to have to stand before God one day and give an account for how he handled the Israelites. I think he gets pretty high praise from all I gather. But boy, they sure didn't make it easy on him, did they? They gave poor Moses a tough task, a tall task. You know, it's not natural to submit. It's natural to rebel. But someone who learns to take their will and lay it down below those who are their leaders and follow and uh, obey and submit to their God-given authority when they're told to do something that's not out of line with Scripture, boy, that, that person is extra special. Archibald Rutledge tells about a man who worked in one of the great forests of the South. His faithful dog burned to death in a great fire that had swept through the forest. Rutledge said the little dog had been left under a tree to guard his master's dinner pail and wouldn't leave it even when the flames roared around him. The worker was broken hearted when he found the charred remains of his little friend. 
With tears streaming down his face, he said, I always had to be careful what I told him to do because I knew he would do it. This and more is the kind of obedience to which Christ has called the Christian. What makes obedience to authority so hard? What makes it so difficult? Well, the main reason is our sin nature. We don't like another person telling us what to do. Let's just be honest tonight. We don't like someone saying, we're not doing it that way, we're doing it this way. And then our pride gets hurt. Well, that was my idea you're walking all over. I don't like that. Our sin nature wants to bow up and go against authority. You know, we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve rebelled, and what happened? They were thrown out of the garden. Cain rebelled and was banished from society. Humanity rebelled and was destroyed by a great flood. Abraham rebelled, and Ishmael has been a thorn in the sight of the Israelites for millennia. Miriam rebelled and was struck with leprosy. King Saul rebelled and had his reign taken from him, uh, from his family. The, the nation of Israel rebelled and they were taken into captivity. The Pharisees rebelled and ended up killing the Messiah. Sinners rebel against God's redemption every single day and will one day be thrown in the flames of hell for it. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23 says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as, as, is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Samuel told that to King Saul. Here Samuel compares rebellion to witchcraft. Witchcraft. Wow! Boy, that's, that's wild! And when we rebel, we are acting in the spirit of Satan. Why is it that people don't want to submit to their God-given authority? Because it's their sin nature. How about this one? Some people have a hard time submitting to authority because they have irresponsible leadership in their life. It's really hard to submit to someone who you don't respect, who isn't respectable. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, the Bible says, And ye fathers, and that word fathers there means ye patriarch. This is fathers, this is mothers, this is grandfathers, this is grandmothers. If you look at this word in its, in its uh, origin, this is talking about people who are uh, responsible for offsprings and the offspring of offsprings. Ye fathers, ye parents, ye grandparents, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, sometimes parents and grandparents and sometimes those that are in authority and have God-given powers are so irresponsible with that power that they make it very hard for people to submit and obey. Now, listen, what happens in our country one day when our God-given authority, as laid out in Romans 13, is corrupt and not executing that uh, power for righteousness, but executing it for evil. Boy, it makes it hard on the Christian to submit and obey. But guess what? It is not up to me and you to punish uh, our authority. It's up to God to punish our authority. It's on us to obey. It's on us, us to obey. We're not commanded to correct the authority. 
we're commanded to obey the authority and trust God to correct the authority. Someone once asked me, how do I honor a mother and father who are not honorable? That's a tough question. I've heard some wild stories about things parents do to their kids and just burn bridges and ruin relationships. How do you go about honoring parents who aren't honorable? And the answer is this. You live your life in such a way that if they had been honorable, they would have raised you to live. If you go forth and you live your life in a way that's honorable, guess what? One day that parent, that authority figure, is going to stand before God and give an account for the way they raised you, and if you turn out right in spite of them, it sure is going to make it easier on them at that judgment. Well, I don't want it to be easier on them. Well, then that goes back to the sin nature. It goes back to the sin nature. Christian, we're called to submit to authority. To submit to authority. One person defined submission this way, to put down your hands and quit fighting. Put down your hands and quit fighting. Wives are called to submit to their husbands, but guess what, husband? You're called to submit uh, to the God-given spiritual authorities in your life. You're called to submit to governors and mayors and uh, uh, presidents. You're called to submit to God. And don't you dare wave your finger in the wife of your face for not submitting if you yourself don't have a submissive spirit. We're all called to submit to somebody. The behavior of a model Christian, we see that a Christian uh, submits to authority. Number six, notice, the Christian's supplication for authority. The Christian's supplication for authority. Look at verse 18 and 19 of Hebrews 13. 18 and 19 of Hebrews 13. The Bible says, pray for us. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Not only are we to obey our God-given authority, but we are also to pray for them as well. Pray for them as well. Christian, there's no room. There's no room for us to dehumanize an authority figure just because they don't line up with our ideologies and thoughts. No room for that. Back when President Obama was in the White House, I had a Facebook account. I was young. Facebook was new. It was exciting. I got off of Facebook for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons further down the list, I was tired of watching Christians belittle and mock and dehumanize our president. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't agree with many of President Obama's decisions. I didn't necessarily love his politics. But he was my president. God had called me not to berate him and belittle him, but to pray for him. Some of you here don't care for President Trump. Boy, there's a whole lot of dehumanizing President Trump 
on the Internet. He's been our president the last four years. He currently still is. You are to pray for him. You are to pray for him. Not pray against him. The courts will settle who the next president will be. There's a lot of emotion felt in our nation right now about the way the election went down. Can I just remind you that whoever moves into the White House in a couple of months or is in the White House, I guess next month, will be allowed by God in heaven. Whether you think the presidency was one fair or unfair, Christian, you're to get on your knees and pray. You're to pray. Sure. You're to pray for those who are in authority. You're to, some of you in here tonight are in a marriage that's not going very well. Do you pray for your spouse? Do you pray for them regularly? You are here long enough and you get around church leadership long enough, eventually they're going to do or say, maybe even me, going to do or say something that hurts you, that you don't like. The flesh just wants to cut people off. When we walk in the Spirit, we get on our knees and we pray. We pray. We pray for those in authority. Look back at uh, verse 18, it says, Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. How can you pray for leadership? Back when President Obama was our president, and then uh, prior to that, I believe it was President Bush and then President Clinton, as a little boy, my parents had me pray for our president and pray for our governor, whoever it was. And I was raised that way and taught that way from a young age and prayed for the pastor and prayed for the police officers, and uh, prayed for uh, all of these folks. Uh, what was one of the things that my parents had me pray for? First, I prayed that if they weren't saved, that they would get saved. Can you think of a greater prayer than that? Pray for them to get saved. And if they are saved, then pray that God will give them a heart of integrity. Oh, man. What a great prayer to pray for someone who has wields power and has authority. Boy, don't you want the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church to be a man of integrity? Don't you want him to continue to live with integrity in his heart and his life? Don't you want our president, whoever it is, to be a man of integrity and not be someone who takes bribes and backdoor deals? Don't you want uh, uh, your husband, ladies, to be a man of integrity? Don't children want their parents to be people of integrity? You say, but they're not. Uh, uh, this particular person in my life, they're scum. Well, pray that God will work on their heart. Because what I have found is that I can't change anyone, but God can. God can. No matter who it is, the heart, the hand, rather the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water turneth, uh, uh, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter number 2. 1 Timothy, it would be to the left of, of Hebrews there. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And look with me at verse number 1. How much involved is the Christian supposed to be politically? Most people don't like the answer to that question. <laughs> Look at verse number 1. 
I exhort, therefore, that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving and thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. How's the Christian supposed to be involved? Supposed to be involved in the prayer closet. Get on your knees and pray. Don't you dare issue a complaint about an authority figure until you have spent hours in prayer. And you know what I find is that people who spend time in prayer, for some reason they just don't complain very much. Isn't that funny how that works? It's almost like because we've prayed and we've walked with God, there's no reason to complain because we've left it in God's hand and we trust Him. We're to pray that they allow us to live a godly and peaceable life. Supplication for authority. We're to pray for their integrity. We're to pray for their longevity. Let me give you um, uh, number seven here. Number seven, the Christian's sanctification. The Christian's sanctification. The behavior of a model Christian. Boy, if you are uh, going through the end of Hebrews 13 here, the um, author just lays it all out there for you. If you want to be a model Christian, boy, uh, grab hold of these things and work it. Look at verse number 20 of Hebrews 13. The Bible says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, uh, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will willing in you that which is well-pleasing in, the sight, uh, in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in few words. All right? Back up in verse 20, it says, Now the God of peace that brought you again uh, from, the dead, our, uh, from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, and then again, verse 21, Make you perfect. Make you perfect in every good work. Bring you along and sanctify you. One person put it this way. The process of sanctification can be compared to an iceberg, which is almost 90% underwater. As the sun shines on the iceberg, the exposed part melts, moving the lower part upward. In the same way, uh, we are usually aware of only a small part of our sinfulness and need which is all we can deal with at any one time. However, as the light of God's work, uh, as, as the light of God, work, God's word works in our lives, it changes us in the areas we know about. We become aware of new areas needing the work of God. So the, the, the sunlight of God shines upon our lives and that which we know is sin, that which we know is wrong. And as that melts, more iceberg is exposed and that can be dealt with. And then more comes up and that is exposed and can be dealt with. And you know what? You spend many, many years as a Christian dealing with sin and getting rid of bad habits and, and grafting in good habits and behaviors. And what you find after many, many years, you turn around and you look back and you say, boy, I'm sure not where I wish I was, but by God's grace, look how far I've come. Look how far I've come. And only by His grace. Only by His grace. How are we made perfect? Through the Word of God. Look back at verse 22. It says here, And I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation. What's he talking about? He's talking about uh, uh, value, cherish, 
read, endure, study, understand this book, this word, this book of Hebrews that I have written unto you. We know that every word of God is perfect. Uh, the Word of God cannot return void. And uh, uh, the Bible tells us that, uh, that, that it is given to us to profit us in every way. And the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. How is it that the Christian is sanctified and made new by holding up the light of God's Word and letting that shine in our lives and being the golden standard by which we live, by which we live. It's not what some person tells us. It's not what some ideology tells us. It's not what some preacher tells us. It's what the Word of God commands of us. And when we walk by that, when we live by that, boy, it is a process that at times can feel sloppy, that can be sloppy. But it is a process that is beautiful in the end. I liken sanctification uh, to flying in an airplane over New York City. You look out of an airplane at New York City and you see magnificence, you see glitz, you see architecture, you see beauty. You see that which the first time you see from the air takes your breath away. The process of sanctification at a distance seems marvelous, and it is. But what happens when you get out of that airplane and you take a taxi to Harlem? And you get out in the streets and you see the homeless uh, they're warming their hands over a trash bin fire and you see trash blowing around and you see dirty corners and you, you see drug needles laying around. All of a sudden, it doesn't look so beautiful. It looks kind of scummy when you get up close. Now, there's nothing about the sanctification process that's scummy, but there is a part of the sanctification process that is not fun. When God puts his finger on an area in your life and says, yeah, that right there, it's got to go. And you go, well, why? I, I kind of like that. I don't want it to go. I want to hold on to that. And God says, but let me remind you, I'm trying to turn you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to become like Jesus, you're going to have to let that go. How many of you go through this process with me where you, first you deny it, and then you kind of begrudgingly accept it, but you don't do much with it, and then slowly you move through the process of letting it go. And then once you've let it go, you go, yeah, you know what? The Lord was right all along. I just couldn't see it at first. Now I get it. Now I see it. Sanctify them by thy Truth, thy word is truth. The longer I'm around the Bible and the more I set aside my ideas and my opinions and I allow God's word to be the authority in my life, boy, the more likely I am to become like Jesus Christ. And boy, what a great thing to be, the behavior of a model Christian. Let's finish it out. Number eight, notice the Christian's salutation of authority. Look at verse number 23. It says, Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. Salute all them that have the rule over you. And all the saints, they of Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. You say, well, that's just a closing, Pastor. What can we get out of that? Well, what we get out of that is our fourth command uh, uh, toward authority in this passage. Go back to verse number 7. Go back to verse number 7 of Hebrews 13. 
The Bible says, remember them which have the rule over you. Remember them. Look here. Who have spoken unto you the word of God. These are your pastors. Whose faith follow concerning the end of their conversation or of their lifestyle. So we're to remember them that have the rule over us. We're to consider the way they live their life. And we're to follow them as they follow Christ. Look down at verse number 17. So we have remember them. Verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you. We looked at that just a moment ago. Look down at verse number 18. Pray for us. Who, who is the us here? It's the, those who clearly have the authority over them to write this letter. So pray for us. And then verse number 24. Salute all them that have the rule over you. There's this, there is this salutation, this greeting. I went back and looked at the verses in the New Testament that say, greet one another with a holy kiss. And I've met some people who love to greet with a holy kiss. I don't want any men kissing on me, and I really don't want any women, unless they're old enough to be my grandmother, giving me any kisses except my wife. I got a, I got a card in the mail. Um, you know, I wasn't home, but I got a Christmas card in the mail from a lady in Maryland named Joy. And uh, it was a letter from Joy. It was a really pretty Christmas card offering me a foot washing. And I came home and Angela holds up the card and says, Who is Joy and what is this? (laughs) I went to Maryland a few weeks ago um, for my getaway. And while I was there, a friend of mine took me out to eat. And uh, we uh, met up with a couple of his friends. And a single lady in her upper 70s named Joy attends a Brethren Church. And she's got a really big personality on her. We got talking about the Brethren Church and how they wash feet. We were cutting up about that. And she has the audacity to send me a letter in the mail um, making my wife wonder what's going on. Amen? Uh, so I'm getting hit on by a 70-something-year-old woman. But I think we're okay. Uh, but salute them. Salute them. And greet them and be respectful toward them. And uh, that is the attitude and behavior of a godly Christian, a Christian who seeks to honor God. What is the behavior of a model Christian? Well, they, they suffer reproach. They're okay with that. They're seeking for a city. They offer a sacrifice of praise. They do good and communicate to others. They are obedient and submissive to authority. They pray for, supplicate for those that have rule over them. They're compliant to and sticking to the process of being made perfect, sanctification, and they're kind-hearted and, and caring and gracious toward those that are in authority in their lives. So that is the behavior of a model Christian. And I would encourage you, Christian, to weigh that up against your behavior and ask God to show you where you can make improvements. Let's stand together for a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed.